All right, um, so we'll, we're continuing our, our trek through Ezekiel, and today in, in particular, I want to focus on especially uh, chapter 37. That's probably one of the more well-known chapters in, uh, in Ezekiel, one of, one of the more well-known accounts uh, in the book. We, we do have uh, Ezekiel 37 uh, selected verses from that chapter as part of the uh, lectionary, part of the reading uh, in our church services uh, at, at various times or at a certain time during the year. But Ezekiel 37 is about uh, really pretty much the entire chapter is about the Valley of Dry Bones. You're probably familiar with that a little bit. It's, it's one of those accounts in the Old Testament that, that really stand out uh, because we don't hear so much this is the only account that I can think of in the Old Testament as well as in the New where you have mention of bones and then also receiving sinews, muscles and those kind of things. In, in other words just the opposite of what happened with decay. Mm. Um, and there's probably been some movies that have to do with something to that effect but, uh, but this is not a movie, this is Biblical text, of course. Um, so we have uh, today, we have uh, next week, and then the following week, and then we'll, we'll uh, have completed introducing Ezekiel. And I say introducing it because we haven't really been able to, to focus uh, a whole lot on, uh, on, on some things we have, but uh, with uh, 48 chapters, it's really difficult to do that in you know just uh, several months. So, uh, so be thinking about what, uh, you know, it's probably not too early to start thinking about this, but in the, for the new year, uh, begin to, to think now about uh, what, what you might like to look at uh, in 2021, 2021, which is coming up, isn't it? A lot of the things. So... Uh, to begin with, by introducing, God carries Ezekiel to a valley filled with dry bones and calls him to prophesy over them. Ezekiel prophesies that God will unite Israel again. And, of course, he will when he does. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll look at this in sections. So, um, a, a number of these Bible passages here, um, you know, just we, we probably won't uh, look at, uh, at all of them. But just to draw your attention to the fact that, you know, this is one way of, of studying scripture as well. And that is to look at phrases. And then what I did is basically looked at a concordance for hand of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord. We, we come across, we've come across these phrases in Ezekiel quite often that tend to repeat themselves again and again and again. And uh, there's import for that. So when we, when we first uh, began the study of Ezekiel, son of man, for example, we looked at that phrase, son of man, and in the Old Testament, it's primarily and mostly in the book of Ezekiel. The word, the phrase son of man does come up um, just a few times in the book of Daniel. But other than that, it's pretty much non-existent throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, we have it with reference to who? Christ. Yeah, all right. Christ Jesus, yeah. 
so there, there, there is significance there, and then also in the, in the use of that. You'll notice in, in, uh, with the phrase, hand of the Lord, it does come up a number of other times in addition to Ezekiel, um, especially in Isaiah, and uh, you know some, some places before that too, outside of the prophets. Uh, but the Spirit of the Lord, you'll notice, you'll notice it comes up just a, just uh, twice in Ezekiel, and this is using the New King James Version, but 28 times throughout the Old Testament, uh, and that's included in the New as well. So especially uh, Luke 4:18, um, we'll we'll hear remnants of that in today's gospel reading. Gospel reading Luke 4:18. That's where Jesus reads from Isaiah, the prophet, the spirit of the Lord is on me, you know, to, uh, to preach the good news to the poor and the like, um, and, uh, and the like. So uh, in terms of study of, of, of the scripture, you could look at these phrases and see how the phrases are used, and they're not always used identically from one place to another, uh, which is kind of interesting too. And by the way, that, that word spirit sometimes can be translated also as wind. You know, so, um, or breath, uh, depending on uh, the context as well. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit, um, a little bit later. But uh, for the time being, let's uh, read Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 6, and we'll start with uh, Wayne with verse 1, and then Sonia, verse 2. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many of them in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to, to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Does anything strike you in these words here? Anything pop out? One of the things that I kind of knew was is that in verse 2, when, Ezekiel, when they're talking about that they were very dry, in other words, kind of emphasizing the fact that they had been dead a long time. Yeah. You know, and it's a, and to kind of go back to the, the power of a miracle, you know, I mean, he, God wanted to make sure that there was, you know, there was nothing on them at all. And they'd been there for a while. Yeah, yeah. So not only are there bones, but these are really dry bones. Dry bones, right? Yep. I mean, so you want to make it more impossible. 
at least the idea. And then also, you, you might you might think too that uh, you know them being very dry. I wonder how much you could you could put into this, but they were close to decay. You know as well, right? I mean, so um, of course, dead is dead. Yeah. Right. But if you remember, was it uh, Princess Bride? Um, what, what is it that mostly dead? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know that's a movie, but and uh, Billy Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> He's not dead. He's mostly dead. Um, but uh, but yeah, these were these were dry. Um, and you know, just uh, you know, think also or consider also the uh, the magnitude, right? There were very many on the surface of the valley. They were very dry. Okay. So that's uh, that's kind of an emphasis uh, that is given here. And then uh, I, I was looking for this uh, son of man. Can these bones live? And notice the answer. Oh, you know, um, that's the question to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says, "Oh Lord God, you know." And there's a, 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 actually a few other places in the New Testament where we have references to that. Um, one in particular um, has to do with uh, Revelation. I think it's Revelation seven, uh, which is the epistle reading for uh, All Saints Day. Where we have this, uh, this, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel. Each tribe had 12,000 mm-hmm. to equal 144,000. So it gives a specific number, and, and uh, certainly we can talk about how that is used in various places, in, by various groups, 144,000. Uh, but what's fascinating to me is immediately after that account, um, John looks up and sees this multitude that cannot be numbered. Not the 144,000, but a greater number uh, that cannot be numbered. And uh, then uh, there's references to uh, to uh, these individuals with white robes, you know, and uh, and the like. And the angels asked John, "Who are these?" And then he says, similarly, I think, you, "Sir, you know, you know, kind of thing." Um, you know, so so these these words, this you know, when. When, when we when we look at this and, and you know when we look at the, the gospels as well, uh, you know some might immediately say, okay, Jesus asks the question, right, um, or he makes a statement, and oftentimes people will look at that and, and say, well, if Jesus is asking, that must mean that he doesn't know the answer. Yeah. Well, a lot of times you go back and look, he's asking the question of someone. Yeah. You know, to see if they know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he's uh, he's not asking, you know, concerning himself. No, he's asking. Right. But he, had, he asked Peter. You know, I mean, he, well, he asked his disciples. Yeah. Who do you think people say I am? Right. You know, he knew the answer. Mm-hmm. He was testing them to find out if they knew. Right. Well, and and not only that, but I I would suggest that he was asking uh, again, of course, not for himself, but for their sakes. Yeah. Right, so uh, you know, so so when uh, in in the end of at the end of John's gospel, when Jesus asked Peter, "Do you love me more than these?" and he says that three times, he wasn't asking because he he knew or he didn't know, or he wasn't asking because he didn't know. He was asking for Peter's sake, right? You know, to encourage him, uh, because remember what Peter had done earlier. Um, Peter had uh, denied Jesus three times, right? And I mean, kind of, I, kind of 
kind of redemptive in a lot of ways, you know, if you take a look at it. I mean, Peter denied him three times, and Jesus asked him three times, almost, yeah. you know, to forgive you know, absolution almost. Right. Given. And I, I think sometimes that is re- that, that account is referred to Jesus institu- reinstituting Peter yeah, into his proper place, right? So as, as an apostle. Uh, and, and we know uh, of another account where Jesus speaks about Peter and how he would deny him, but then he says, I have prayed for you, you know, uh, so that when you are renewed, strengthen your brethren, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, what, 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 uh, what Jesus says, what Jesus asks, the questions that he gives are not for himself, but rather for us, you know, for those who are, are hearing at the time. So the same way here with the Valley of the Dry Bones, you know, the question, can these bones live, um, that was not for God, but that was rather for Ezekiel. Can these bones live? Um, and what's interesting here, I mean, the hand of the Lord, you know, certainly there, there could be debate about that. Uh, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me in the spirit of the Lord. That sounds a lot like uh, what's going on with John, too, in Revelation. Revelation 1. Right? And, and that's why one of the reasons why we want to be careful in terms of, quote, interpreting literally what is to be taken figuratively in distinction from interpreting literally what is to be taken figuratively. Did I have to say that right? In other words, you know, we want to be careful about distinguishing between the literal and the figurative. So sometimes you've heard, sometimes you've heard, and I, I, I've come across this of late, um, you know, kind of this idea that, you know, some some will say, I, I think they, they mean well when they say this, we take the Bible literally. Right? We do take the Bible literally, don't we? Um, but oftentimes, uh, you know, you know, sometimes, or I should say oftentimes when that is said, it's not always distinguished, okay, that doesn't mean we take everything literally in the Bible where it's to be taken figuratively according to its context. You follow? So in other words, when, when uh, you know, and, and there, there, there are many groups that we, we spoke about before, about the 144,000. Is that a literal, is that number to be taken literally, meaning that there are only 144,000 in the highest heaven, as the Jehovah's Witnesses take it? And others, too, I, I think, um, isn't there, weren't there a group of Baptists, too, that claimed the 144,000, like 144,000 elect? I've heard that number before, and I've heard that phrase before, elect, along with it. Um, but if you, if you look at Revelation and you take all of it uh, literally, um, that's going to do a great deal of damage then and is going to be inconsistent with what Jesus himself says of all people, you know, concerning the end of days, for example. Because there's, there's quite a few numbers in Revelation. There's quite a few numbers elsewhere, too. If you take those literally... Um, you know, then what, what do you make of what Jesus says, you know, concerning his coming as a thief in the night? No one is going to know the time. Um, but then we have all these numbers. Um, I, I think the end of Daniel, you know, has a, a specific number, too. And some people have taken quite a bit of liberty in terms of how they use that 
to support their theology. So then instead of preaching Christ, what happens in, in many of these fellowships, and you'll see this in Jehovah's Witnesses especially, it's not about Christ at all. Um, it's about something else. And, and oftentimes in these groups, it's all about the end times. You know, so you read the Bible, you know, you have the Bible on one hand, and you have the newspaper on the other. Have you heard of that before? No. You know, some will do that. And they'll actually interpret the Bible using contemporary, you know, events. That's not how you read the Bible. Um, and, uh, and, and so especially when we, get, when, we, when we speak of Ezekiel, when we speak of uh, Revelation. Uh, by the way, um, a, a, a better understanding of Ezekiel will give a better understanding than also of Revelation. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of connections there. Not only with reference to Ezekiel, but to Daniel. Um, I would say Isaiah. A number of the other uh, motifs, if we, if we use those words, or that word, you know, with reference to creation, light, redemption, uh, salvation. Um, we have the lamb who was slain, but it was not living, right? Uh, that's reflective of, of the, uh, the imagery of, of Jesus Christ as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, and the like. So um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to sum up what we see in Revelation, what we see in Ezekiel concerning something called eschatology or the end times is not contradictory to what Jesus himself says or what Peter says um, and what the other apostles say concerning the last days. So, uh, you know, if we look at, uh, for example, keep your finger in Ezekiel 37 and go to 1 Timothy in the New Testament. And I, I think it's 1 Timothy 4. So in 1 Timothy 4, uh, that's chapter 4, verses 1 and following, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now we might not often think of this, but um, I, I, I forget if we were talking about this on Wednesday a little bit or uh, you know somewhere else, uh, there, there was a discussion about the various visions that so-called Catholics receive you know like uh, was it the uh, the, the virgin in uh, oh, I'm trying to in, in South America what is it there's all these visions that that are claiming to be uh, as, as seen right uh, are the lady of Guadalupe right that's another one um, Fatima I think that's another and what's what's fascinating to me you know you have a lot of Catholics who then go to these places you know as pilgrimages, you know, and the like. But but really, what is it that the so-called vision states or says? Um, that, that's kind of key. Do they direct you to Christ? Um, re reflecting on the messages of angels, angels, uh, you might be aware of this, the word angel basically is another word for messenger. And messengers by virtue of them being messengers, have a message. 
right? So whenever we see in the Old Testament or in the New the appearance of angels, they always have a message. Always. And I would suggest that most of the time, if not all of the time, the angel has some kind of message about salvation or deliverance. So you might recall, for example, um, in, uh, in Genesis 19, Genesis 18, where we have God and two angels who visit with Abraham. God remains and speaks with Abraham, and that's where they have this dialogue back and forth, you know, where God reveals to Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom. And then, and then Abraham says, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy the city? No, I won't for 50. How about 45, 40, and you know, so on. But God and Abraham are having this conversation. The other two, the two angels, they're on their way to Lot. For what purpose? To warn him. To warn him. To have him and his family saved, right? Uh, we might think of, uh, of course, you know, one of the, the initial appearances of the Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, uh, to Moses in the burning bush, what was his announcement? Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, if you know, if if, uh, if anyone thinks, okay, it's because Moses was was good and upright that God chose him, um, you need to rethink that uh, that idea. Because uh, I, I recall uh, a, a number of other accounts too. Jonah, for example, when God called him initially, what did he do? He ran the other way. He went the other direction. Um, what about Jeremiah? Do you remember anything about Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 1, when God calls him? Well, you're thinking of Isaiah, I think. But Isaiah was one too. Um, why would God choose these guys, right? Um, but Jeremiah was the one who, well, I'm only a youth, right? Yeah. You know, um, and then, uh, you know, we might think of other accounts too. What about the apostle Paul, who formerly was Saul? I mean that's one of the that that's an amazing account in itself, isn't it? Um, in was it Acts chapter eight, I think, you know where where he was he thought that he was doing God a favor by doing what he was doing, and then uh, you know by means of uh, God's work he 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 went to 180 degrees, right? Uh, so what he first opposed, then he embraced because he was given a new heart and uh, a new mind and the like. Um, but uh, yeah, so in uh, the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, uh, we might also think here, um, you might, we, we talked about Mormonism probably before a little bit. Um, Joseph Smith, okay, he was the founder. I think it was probably about 18, was it 1820, 1830, 1840, somewhere around there. Um, when he claims to have had a vision or, you know, the, the uh, appearance of, um, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, again, you know, thinking of this time period, uh, you know, the, the vision that he received or that he claims to have received, um, the, the voice, the word to him was that all the religions in the area are wrong. I'm going to give you the right one. 
which is very fascinating because uh, a couple hundred years before that, I think in, I want to say, it was, was it 600? I think it was in the 7th century, wasn't it, when uh, Muhammadism, when Islam came to the scene? And interestingly, there too, Muhammad claimed to have a vision from God in the form of Gabriel. And in this vision that he uh, claims to have received, uh, the, the voice to him said uh, that all religions are wrong. And here's the right one. Uh, now, now, with both of these, I know this isn't uh, a study on Mormonism um, or Islam, uh, but for both of these, uh, there's no uh, verification, there's no fact-finding that could be done on the claimed sources. Because only Muhammad, it is said, it is believed by Muslims, only Muhammad received the vision. And by the way, he could not write. I don't think he could read either. Um, so there was no way of verifying this vision that he claims to have, but he told this to scribes and they wrote it down. Okay, so who is the conduit of what they claim to be God? That's, you know, Muhammad at the time, right? Um, and then from that, the religion, but also with Joseph Smith, um, the claim of Mormonism is that they, uh, that Joseph Smith um, was given basically uh, the, the map, the X marks the spot for golden tablets of what I would say are fake Hebrew hieroglyphics. And he was given special glasses so he could interpret. Um, but, but no book have, has ever been found. And guess who the only one who could see the book was? Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. Now compare that with Christianity, and, and this has to do with apologetics, compare that with Christianity. We have copies among copies among copies, right? So that we could, and that's what, where trek, something called textual criticism comes in, looking at the various copies to see how similar they are, um, how varied they are, if they are varied, um, you know, and the like. You can't do that with the Book of Mormon. You can't do that with the Quran either. Um, and, and this is not even talking about what they teach, right? Uh, because if, uh, if, if one actually read what the Book of Mormon says or read what the Book of Quran teaches um, and, and says, I, I think uh, many, many, even uh, religious adherents would be probably astounded um, in terms of what is taught there compared to what is actually taught officially by these various groups. You know. Uh, so, you know, what we hear about uh, uh, with reference to, uh, quote, terrorist acts, those who are involved with Islam, you know, we, in our country we have this tendency of saying they're extremists. Actually, are they extremists if they actually believe what their holy scriptures teach? They're not supposed to. Yeah. Uh, but in our country especially we have, we, we, we see a, a division, a distinction between what is actually believed and what is actually written. Um, and, and by the way, this is not only Islam that that takes place in, it's also Christianity. I mean, how many, if I say, um, God helps those who help themselves, how many Christians, maybe not here, but how many Christians would say, well, yeah, that's somewhere in the Bible. 
Or you can think of other phrases too, right? Um, that are actually not found in the Bible, but people claim are in the Bible. Uh, which really demonstrates maybe their lack of having read the Bible. Um, you know, just do a concordance. God helps those who help themselves. They won't show up in any, well, at least in, in most in, in standard translations. It might come up in a paraphrase or two, but that's more demonstrative than of the editor of the translator or the one writing the paraphrase rather than the actual text itself. Okay, so uh, continuing with uh, 1 Timothy 4, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Oh, and by the way, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. I'm thinking here of fasting. Uh, who forbids marriage? Who would do that? Catholic Church. Yeah. And their priest. Yeah. What about, uh, I mean, even today, um, you know, a case could be made about this. Um, you know, maybe not outright forbidding, but at least, if nothing else, at least um, disencouraging. You know, uh, the, the rise today, I, I, I have some numbers in my head, but I can't remember um, what the, the specifics are. But I, I think uh, the number of couples that live together before marriage, if they get married, is over 50% easy today. You know, it's, 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 it's almost accepted, even in the church, you know, that this is permissible. Um, God speaks differently, of course. Abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. All right, um, let's, uh, let's jump to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3, which is somewhat related. Verse 1 begins, Understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. I guess I could stop there. Is that true today? But we, we'll, we'll continue anyway. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, um, and then avoid such people. Okay, um, This is a, a commentary, I think, on our day, um, as it has been in, uh, in previous years, too. But I, I think uh, even more so as we see the time approaching, as Peter says. All right, let's get back to Ezekiel 37. So we have the account of dry bones. So what we've heard is uh, the hand of the Lord was on Ezekiel, and Ezekiel then was to say, uh, speak to the bones, and here's what would happen. Can these bones live? And, uh, and then... The voice says, prophesy over these bones and say to them, hear the word of the Lord. All right, let's continue with the reading of, uh, let's see, verses 7 to 14. Where did we leave off? Me. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. 
Indeed, as I looked, the sinews in the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into those slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Okay, let's let's stop there for for a moment. So everything that God had said to Ezekiel concerning these bones, then Ezekiel spoke to the bones, and yeah, they came together. Okay, and they lived and stood on their feet. So that which was dead. Very dead, not mostly dead, but all dead. No chance of coming back, reviving whatever, uh, came to life at God's word. Have we heard of anything like this before in the Bible? Yes. Several times. Okay. Where? Well, the first was Christ's resurrection. He was dead long enough that there was no resuscitation going to happen there. Yeah, yeah, three days. Well, sort of. The other that I'm thinking of is Lazarus, where everybody was wailing and said, if you had only come, he wouldn't have died. And he'd been in that room long enough that now he stinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he brings him back. Four days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he was he, he was not, he also was not mostly dead. He was, he was fully dead, right? Um, and yeah, after four days, and I, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, here, um, you know, they, they have a, a, a process for embalming, which which can extend, right? Not the life, but the uh, I, I guess extend the limitation of, of odors, right? Um, but if you don't have those, then the body starts smelling. Pretty much right away, right? I mean, that's yes. kind of the process of decay. And that's why in the Arab countries today, is the, day, the moment you're determined dead, you're in the ground the next day. Mm -hmm. There's no way you're in. Yeah, and and there's also, uh, I, I guess, practical reasons for that too, right? I mean, in terms of you know, uh, minimizing disease, yeah, you know, and 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 the like. Um, and you might recall that when Joseph, for example, in Israel or in Egypt, when he died, they embalmed his body. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the like, and that was to help you know preserve, you know, the the body, uh, at least for a time. But uh, but here we have yeah we have that Lazarus four days, so one day beyond Jesus. Um, what about others? So we have Lazarus, we have Jesus. And then then you have the son of the widow. You have the son of the widow. Okay, yeah, of name, mm -hmm. for example, and that's the account where. Uh, you know, they were, I think they were heading out of the city. Yeah, they were And Jesus out. was heading into the city, and here was this funeral procession. Yep. He puts his hand on the coffin, mm -hmm. you know, and then he says to the boy, I say to you, arise, and he did. He just kind of sat up, you know, and his mom was a widow. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that's another account. And then you have the temple official Jairus and his daughter. Oh, Jairus, yeah, and his daughter. Yeah, who is, what, 12 years old, right? 12 years old. Yeah, Talitha Kumi, uh, which is Aramaic, I think. 
uh, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she did. Um, Were there not numerous also resurrected at the same time that Jesus was? Yes, yeah, there yes, was, there was. was. Talk about the graves were open, mm -hmm. and many people saw these individuals too. Yeah, you know, and, and there is no not convincing them. Yeah. You know, how, how could this be? I know this person was dead. I see him living now. I see her living. Um, and and you know, maybe we mentioned this before, but in the Old Testament too, with Elijah and with Elisha, mm -hmm. there's also resurrection. There's also a time, and this is, and I, I don't have the reference, um, you know, on the top of my head, uh, but I think it was, um, was it Elisha or Elijah, where uh, a prophet of God was laid by uh, Elisha or Elijah. They were dead. I think it may have been Elijah, but the body touched the bones of Elijah, and he came back to life. Not Elijah, but the other came back to life. Um, you know, which is, uh, you know, also a unique account, um, one that is not, uh, you know, common in Scripture, but the resurrection certainly is, you know, common in both Testaments. And, of course, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 speaks greatly about a resurrection. And, uh, you know, he, uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, is uh, is kind of a, is, is addressing those who believe that there is no resurrection of the body where the resurrection has already taken place. Uh, but he says, if there's no resurrection of the body, then your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Um, so I, I recently heard, with reference to Christianity, in comparison with all the other religions, uh, you know, to ask this question, which I, I, I think is kind of intriguing to me, um, if, if you're discussing, for example, with other people, whether they're Christian or not, about the validity and the truthfulness of Christianity, in comparison with other, other religions, you know, one of the questions apologetically to ask is, how can you disprove that religion? And if they say, you can't, then, um, you know, the, this, uh, this individual said, if they say, well, there's no way to disprove this, this religion, go the other direction. Because there's always evidence uh, for or against. Now, with reference to Christianity, if Christianity could be disproved, how would one go about doing it? Bring me the bones of Christ. Yeah. Christ didn't rise oh, from the dead, right? Scary. What's that? Oh gosh, it's scary. Well, there's a there's a book. Some of you might know about it. It's it's by a Paul Meyer called The Skeleton in God's Closet. Yeah. And it it it's, it, it, it kind of takes you on that journey. What if? Of course, it, if it, it it's not true, um, but but really, you know, we can actually say, yeah, if you if you can disprove the resurrection, you just disproved Christianity. The problem is you can't because it actually really happened. Um, so, you know, even if someone claims, and in this book, uh, spoiler alert, um, the, the skeleton in God's closet is about a, uh, an archaeologist who claims to have found the, the body of Jesus, or the bones of Jesus. You know, you had the, you know, you had the marking of the nails, you know, and everything else. Um, another spoiler alert, it was disproved. It was all a fake, right? Yep. Um, but, but what's really fascinating 
is, uh, you know, in the book, if, if you know, those of you who have read it, uh, the response to this archaeologist, I, I think, is fascinating in my mind. The response of Christians everywhere. You know, some were saying, well, I'm going to keep believing, you know, despite, you know, the, the, the so-called evidence, whereas others said, well, you know, Christianity is just basically a myth, you know, and then they went the, the other direction. And even in the church, too, um, it, it caused problems, of course, uh, with reference to that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is, uh, on the one hand, of course, the resurrection is a confession of faith as revealed in Holy Scripture. Um, but uh, but it, it is that which revealed is revealed in, in, in Scripture and also testifies, of course, to Jesus' victory over sin and death in the grave. Um, so, so really, you know, someone had asked a question earlier, not today, but at a previous time, I think about, uh, what was it? Uh, it was about Christianity. I, I can't read. I, I just lost my train of thought. Um, but maybe it'll come back to me. Uh, but, but be that as it may, with, with reference to the resurrection, um, you know, we know this is true because God Himself reveals it. If the resurrection is not true, Christianity is not true. And then Christianity becomes just like any other religion in terms of salvation by works. But that's not what Scripture teaches, right? Uh, notice again, and I, I've said this before, but when it comes to the uh, the actor of the verb, uh, that's a really key point to recognize in the text. Uh, you know, who saves, who delivers? It's not we ourselves, right? Um, who chose Israel? It wasn't Israel that chose themselves for God to choose them. Rather, it was God who chose them. And, and the text in Deuteronomy 7, he, he actually says why you know, God chose them, because he would have his love on them. Um, and then Abraham, and then also us, God so loved the world, um, even the world that despised him, the world that refused him, and the like. And specifically here in Ezekiel 37, moving on, um, you know, then in this, with his uh, dry bones, of course, he's talking about Israel. And, you know, all of the we've talked about before and seen in Ezekiel uh, doesn't seem that great for Israel because they're kind of in dire circumstances. Remember, Ezekiel um, is very likely in Babylon at this time, speaking about uh you know, the exiles, but also uh, addressing Jerusalem, you know, and uh, and Judah and the like. Why are they even in exile? Why were they exiled? Because of their sinfulness, right? Um, you know, so so they're being judged, and uh, God is, you know, calling them to repentance uh, through the prophet Ezekiel. Okay, let's, uh, let's uh, try to finish up uh, this section here at least, uh, verse 11 to 14. I think we're, we're with you, right? Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Yeah. So, um, you know, even right here, our bones are dried up. There's no hope for us. There's no hope for us. Rather, they've given up. 
Yeah. Yeah, they don't see it, right? All is lost, they say. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Remember, they were taken out of the land of Israel, and now they will return to the land of Israel. Okay, verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in my own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, have spoken it, and performed it, says the Lord. All right. So, um, you know, there's a couple things here with, with you know, prophesy to the breath. Um, you know, that might be, uh, remind us, you know, in, in a way of what happened when God created man from the dust of the ground, right? Before man from the dust of the earth, what did he do? He wasn't living yet, but he breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, you might recall that, that something like that also happened in John 20. Um, let's, let's look to that. And some of you might remember John 20 as a, a, a biblical reference memorized uh, with reference to the office of the keys. Remember uh, Luther's phrase, where is this written in the small catechism? And verses uh, 22 to 23, specifically, this is at... That uh, the, the night of Jesus' resurrection, he appears to his disciples. Thomas is gone. He's not with them. He says, Peace be with you. In verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he might ask, Well, to do what? In verse 22, When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. What do you think they received when he breathed on them? Just take a guess. The Holy Spirit. Right? Receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. To do what? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Confession and absolution. Okay? Um, and specifically, absolution. Uh, there's also another, a number of other places. Uh, I, I'll direct your attention to, uh, to the verses there. Uh, a couple in Job, even in Isaiah, talking about breath. Uh, there's also uh, John 3, verses 5 to 6. In uh, and, and, and John 3, that's the dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, in that context, I, I think that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Immediately following those words, then Jesus says, um, the Spirit goes where you don't know. Um and, uh, and, and the like. So, you know, that spirit, that breath. Um, and then we also have this phrase, too, in Ezekiel 37. Uh, we, we've seen this uh, a number of times before, and we see it again here. You will know that I am the Lord. Uh, some would have, you will know that I am the Lord God. This one, I, I think, is just, you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, and that's found... Uh, in Ezekiel, uh, a number of times, actually more times than, than in other places as well. All right, let's, we're, we're going to have to wrap up. But uh, 
but I, I did want to conclude by saying, so Ezekiel 37, the remainder of the chapter is about how uh, Israel will have one king. And God also talks about how those who were scattered because of the exile on account of their sinfulness, they will be gathered together again, you know, as one. And we see that, uh, of course, in, in Jesus. And, uh, and, and also in this section, there's the joining of sticks and also the meaning that is given. So uh, even with, uh, you know, with these visions, with these accounts, oftentimes we'll also see the, quote, interpretation. In other words, we're not left to ourselves um, with, with reference to this. Um, for example, I, I know, again, referring to Jehovah's Witnesses, I think they would use, uh, I think, it, is it Isaiah 40, does anyone know, or 42? Somewhere around there where, um, where God actually says through Isaiah the prophet, you are my witnesses. And that's where Jehovah's Witnesses get their main text. You are my witnesses. Oh, that means us. You know, and there's also sticks that are referred to, the sticks of Israel and Judah being together. Uh, but they use that entirely different than what the text reveals. Um, you know, uh, so that's important to note. Ezekiel 38 to 39 is about a place called Gog. There's also Magog. Uh, these are references made also in uh, in Revelation. There's uh, there's some brief. Uh, words from that from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, and then uh, Ezekiel 39 verses 21 to 29 has to do with Israel being restored to the land. In other words, they were exiled, they were scattered, and now they're coming back. Um, and, you know, that's also a theme in Scripture, too. So um, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. That is, uh, you remember the Tower of Babel, right? Hearing about, reading about the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 where the people got together and they wanted to raise a tower up to heaven to make a name for themselves. God went down to sea and he confused their language. And then from there they, they separated probably all across the world. Right? Um, but on the day of Pentecost we see something uniquely different happening. Rather than the people scattering, the people are coming together. And they all understand in the same language. Right? In their own language the wonderful glories of God, right? So what was separated um, on account of sin is brought back together in Christ, right? Uh, whole, united, as one. All right. With that, let's uh, let's close, and we'll continue with uh, the remaining chapters next week. We pray. Gracious God, move us to repent of our sinfulness and waywardness before you. Open our ears to hear your word, our mouths to confess our sins, and also to confess your praises, having been forgiven through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Deliverer and our Savior, the one who redeems us, the one who saves us. We pray that you would give us confidence in the resurrection and the certainty of your favor in Jesus Christ. Continue to be with your servant, Pastor Blazik, and his wife and family as they mourn the death of Millie. And be with us, too, that as we grieve over her death, we also rejoice in the victory over the grave won for us through your Son, whose name we pray. Amen.